0: Anxiety is reaching epidemic proportions in Australia. Beyond Blue says it's the most common mental health condition with two million sufferers, twice as many as depression. One in four Australians will experience some form of anxiety condition during their life. One in three women, one in five men. Anxiety is more than just your general uh, feelings of stress or worry, most of us feel those sorts of feelings in a certain situation, but normally those feelings will pass once the stressful situation's over. But anxiety is when those feelings don't go away, when they happen for no particular reason. Uh, This is the last in our series on fear, and of course anxiety and worry are connected with fear. Uh, At the risk of oversimplification, anxiety is a fear of what might happen tomorrow. Uh, While fear is about What's actually happening now? We're anxious about all sorts of things. Climate change, terrorism, computer hacking, nuclear attacks, housing affordability, unpaid bills, car repairs, work pressures, passing school exams, personal health, health epidemics, safety of our family. Uh, Or as Charlie Brown likes to say, even our anxieties have anxieties. What's changed? Well for many of us a big factor are changes in technology and work. Work is no longer something that you can leave behind at the end of the day. It's accessible at the touch of a button or the tap of a screen, thanks to smartphones, tablets and laptops. But it's not just workers. A 2017 study found that the average American consumer spends five hours a day on mobile devices. Uh, That's an increase of 20% from the previous year. Uh, Which means by the end of this year it may be something like six hours a day. Technology means we're never disconnected. Social apps are designed to keep you permanently in a state of anticipation, waiting for that ding or that buzz to know you have a new notification. Uh, A friend of mine, he's not much younger than me, Recently posted on Facebook, about to surrender my phone for a few hours to get the screen fixed. I'm genuinely a little depressed about the fact that being parted in such a way makes me mildly anxious. <laughs> what is this bizarre world we've created? Our children are not immune either. Did you hear one of the kids say they were worried about Napland? University of Queensland Child Anxiety Researcher, Dr Vanessa Cobham, says one in ten children aged six to eleven now meet the criteria for diagnosable anxiety. She says many children are overprotected, pushed too hard and relax uh, with screening devices instead of playing outside with friends. She says the chance for a a carefree childhood is slim. I see it. Many kids aren't permitted to fail at anything. They're conscripted into more competitive activities than they know how to handle, tutors are called in to fix what teachers can't, and pressure from schools to excel really ramps up ahead of NAPLAN for years 3, 5, 7 and 9. Uh, Max Ricardo, in his book Fearless quotes the statistic that the average child today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the nineteen fifties. That's not some children, that's the average child. Anxiety in the short term can lead to panic attacks, heart palpitations, chest pains, lightheadedness, sleep deprivation. In the long term it can lead to suppressed immune system, irritable bowel syndrome, and an increased Uh, increased risk of diabetes, high blood pressure and heart disease. Depressed? (laughs) But in the midst of it all, Jesus commands us, do not worry about your life. God encourages us in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, God commands us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he gives us this promise, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a great promise for those of us who are feeling anxious. But how do we do that? How can we take our eyes off those big monsters in our life that loom and instead look to God? How do we make this world smaller and make God bigger? Well, Jesus has the answers. Here in Luke 12, the master physician takes a look at our hearts, looks at our anxieties, and he diagnoses them as coming from two root causes – What we love and who we trust. The first cause, what we love. The heart of the problem, says Jesus, is the problem of the heart. You see, anxiety at its root is a heart problem. We love certain things and then we're anxious that we might not get them. You're anxious about unpaid bills. Why? because you love money. You love the power that comes from having money. You're anxious about health epidemics or housing affordability or nuclear attack or terrorism because you love safety and comfort for you and your family. You're anxious about work pressures, about passing exams because you love the acceptance and the approval of people. You're anxious about mess, or recycling, or a clean house, because you love control. And the rest of life seems out of control, but this you can control. The problem, the heart of the problem, is the problem of the heart. But Jesus says, instead, you need to set your heart on the right things. You need to treasure the most valuable things. Do you see how he concludes this section down to verse 33? It's almost at the end. Jesus says, verse 33, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. We work on building treasure in all sorts of ways. Money and power and leisure and family and success and reputation, a legacy, a trophy house, pleasure. But for Jesus it's not a choice among many, there's only one choice to be made. You either open a bank account for treasure on earth or you open one for treasure in heaven. One that wears out, that leaks, that rusts, that breaks down, or one that lasts. It's like deciding between a gold necklace and a gold-plated necklace. Now, there was a bit of a media thing a few weeks ago. Some politician kept quoting about gold-plated promises. I think he was misquoting it, really, wasn't he? Wasn't that the deal? He He was meaning it was you know, strong and solid, but he was actually saying the opposite. Gold plating's not good, gold plating's cheap. Gold plating fades and rusts. It's the pure necklace that you want, isn't it? The cheap copper or steel inside the the gold plated one makes it look horrible. It's about choosing good quality tools over cheap tools. My father always said, buy the best tools you can afford, whether it's guitars or chisels or cameras. The good quality ones will last longer, they'll work better, you'll enjoy them more. The only good thing about the cheap product is the price and you forget that pretty quickly. Jesus says it's the same with the choice of treasure, earthly treasure or heavenly treasure. Heavenly treasure is safe and secure You can't destroy it, it can't be corrupted. It lasts. Now, it seems obvious, doesn't it, when you put it like that? But it's so easy to seek earthly treasure. To work at providing cheap, poor quality, temporary purses for ourselves. I think, because they're easy, they're attractive, they're they're immediate, they're, they're in your face and everybody else is chasing them. How is it that we fall for that? Why do we make such a foolish choice? Well, look at what Jesus says in verse 34. It begins with a decision about where your treasure will be. And then what follows are the steps that will take you towards that choice. Verse 34, he says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a two step process. First of all, you decide what is most valuable. You make a decision about where your treasure is. You choose what you will worship. And then secondly, your life choices will fall in line on the basis of that determination, on the basis of that value. Your life will reflect that priority. Your heart will go after that treasure you'll do all sorts of things and make all sorts of decisions to get that treasure. That thing is where you'll find your desires and your priorities and your attention. It's where you'll invest your time and your energy. It's where you'll commit the very best of your your emotions and your thinking. What is that with you? What is it that keeps you awake at night? What's that thing that pops into your head when you wake up in the morning? What is it that you give your best to? What motivates you? Many of the things that we worry about come back to one of four treasures. Comfort, or power, or being in control, or the approval of people. What is your treasure? Where is it found? Uh, Heaven or earth? Well that's how Jesus concludes his teaching. Choose your treasure. Uh, But look at how he begins. Jump back up to verse 13. Uh, He explains, he shows what it looks like when someone chooses earthly treasure and then when they set their heart about achieving it. Verse 13, someone interrupts him with a demand, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, it's easy to see where this guy's treasure is. Earthly wealth. It preoccupies his thoughts. It's more important to him than family. He's willing to risk a relationship with his brother to get it. Jesus responds with a warning, verse 15, to all who are listening, watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life does not equal possessions. There is more to life than stuff. It is not true that whoever dies with the most toys wins. And then to illustrate the point, he tells a story about a rich farmer, someone who, like the questioner, is chasing earthly treasure. Verse 16, he's got a bump crop. He's unprepared for it. He could give it away, but if barns are too small and instead he decides, verse 18, a capital improvement program, bigger barns. Uh, verse 19, he'll be set for life. He'll take early retirement. He thinks he's provided a purse for himself that won't wear out. He thinks he's set. Uh, his wealth has given him power, or at least he thinks so, the power to have choice and options. He plans to enjoy himself. Uh, And Jesus concludes the story, verse 20, he's foolish because what he thought was a purse that wouldn't wear out is only temporary. He can't depend on it. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then he'll get what you've prepared for yourself. This is how it'll be for anyone who stores up things for himself but isn't rich towards God. This is how it'll be for anyone who sets his treasure on earth and not in heaven. He's ignored God, ignored his priorities, his life is on a shaky foundation and it's coming tumbling down. He needs a better treasure. He needs a better treasure. So Jesus comes to his lesson. What the disciples need to learn from this farmer, from this questioner. Uh, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Do you notice the therefore? It's always a good thing when you're studying the Bible, if you see a therefore, to ask, what's a therefore? The therefore points backwards to what's come before to help explain what comes ahead. The command to not worry comes from the parable. Because life is more than possessions, don't worry about possessions. Because possessions don't last, it's senseless. It's, it's foolishness to worry about things that don't last. Therefore, don't worry. And he's speaking to people who attempted to make the same mistake as the foolish farmer. Think that life is only about possessions. Uh, Do you see the connection that uh, his hearers make? Don't worry about life, what you eat. Don't worry about your body, what you wear. They're putting an equal sign between those two things. Uh, People worry when they decide that life consists of what they eat. We could add don't worry about your life, where you live, your bank balance how many friends you have, what they think of you, how successful you are. And people worry uh, when they decide that the body equals clothes. We could add, don't worry about your body, the risk of terrorism, the threat of disease, the leaking roof, the broken heater, the chance of promotion, where your next holiday will be. The body is not those things. Life is not those things. There is no equal sign between those things. Notice what Jesus said next. Don't worry because, verse 23, life is more than food. There's a, what's it called? A greater than sign. Life is greater than food. The body is greater than clothes. It's foolish to think that life equals possessions and to set your heart on them because they don't last. Now when Jesus says life is greater than food, he could mean life is more important than food. But I don't think that really makes sense because you actually need food for for life to happen. Here's what I think Jesus' point is this. Here's what I think Jesus' point is. You have life. God has done The hard thing. He's turned bone and skin and tissue into breathing, thinking, independent, relational, self-awareness. You've got life. That's incredible. That's the miracle. If he can do that big thing, why are you worried about him providing food for that life? Don't worry about food. Life is greater than food and you've already got that. God's given you that. Look at the birds, says Jesus. God feeds them, God gives them life. Verse 24 Consider the ravens. God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? That's how much you can't do anything about your own life. So why do you worry about the rest? the same point with the body and clothes. The body is greater than clothes. The body is the big thing, God has made your body. He formed it in your mother's womb. He clothed you with skin and flesh. He made eyes that are better than the most expensive camera. He made hands that can wield an axe or thread a needle. He made a heart that beats and lungs that expand without you having to think about them. If he's done that, why are you worried about putting clothes on that miracle? doesn't make sense. Look at the flowers, he says, verse 27. They don't labour or spin. They don't shop or save or sew or wash. But their clothes more richly than Solomon, how much more will he clothe you, verse 28, O you of little faith. You're more important to God than birds and flowers. He's given you life. He's given you a wonderful body. So trust him for the little things that contribute to those big things. Trust him for the bills and your health and having to cross that bridge you're scared of. Trust him for your plane trip and your university marks and your children's future. Trust him in the face of terrorist threats and housing affordability and climate change. And notice in verse 28 the connection between worry and unbelief. O you of little faith! You see, when you worry, you're not trusting God. When you worry, you're taking the burdens onto yourself and you're trusting your own efforts to fix them, your own ability or disability to fix them, which is why you worry, because it's more disability than ability. Here's the second of Jesus' root causes to our anxiety. First one, what you love. The second, who you trust. We need to change who we trust. How big is your God? When you worry about leaking taps and lost keys or a new dress, you're squashing God into a tiny box. A box that says, he's too small, to do this or change that or provide that. Worry makes God small. How big is your God? Many of us know Stu is looking for a new job. He's had some disappointments. He's missed out on some jobs that seem like a good fit. But he says through it all he's not worried. He's trusting God. And he says God's looked after him up till now. You will look after him into the future. God guides, God provides, uh, all according to his plan, according to his timing. When you trust, you don't worry. Dr Jesus says our anxiety comes from loving the wrong things and trusting the wrong person. And so having put those things into perspective, having shown earthly treasures for what they really are, the logic is obvious. Verse 29, don't chase after them. Do not set your heart. Do not seek what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. Don't chase them because they're not worth it. God knows that you need them. You don't have to chase them. Instead, says Jesus, seek a greater treasure. Seek a purse that won't wear out. Be rich towards God. Build treasure in heaven. Do you notice how many times he he says the same thing in different ways? Don't seek what you'll eat or drink. Instead, verse 31, seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. They'll get thrown in. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't seek these things, seek God's approval. Do the things that please him, that build his kingdom. Make those things your top priority. Set your heart on them. An earthly treasure will lose its sparkle. Seek Jesus himself. Connect yourself more and more to him. Make him your treasure and your worry, for earthly things will fade. Sometimes we need to take an old bone from our dog Charlie. It's dried out, it's covered in grot, it's splintered, it's dangerous, it's sort of got sharp bits on it but he gets very protective of his old bone. Uh, But one trick is to give him something better that will distract him. A fresh bone, juicy, long-lasting. And when you do that, he very quickly loses interest in the old grotty bone. It's the same with our desires. The only way that we can stop loving earthly treasure and worrying about it is to love heavenly treasure more. You can't just stop loving one thing. You have to replace it with a greater love. Thomas Chalmers, a Scottish Presbyterian minister of the early 19th century, preached a famous sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And he said, It's impossible for the heart, by any innate elasticity of its own, to cast the world away from it. The heart is not so constituted. The only way to dispossess it of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. To replace seeking the things of this world with seeking the kingdom. Jesus commands us not to be anxious and the root of our anxiety is a love for the treasures of this world. And the only way to be cured of it is to love Jesus more to seek his kingdom more. And as we do that, we'll grow to trust him more and to turn away from our own abilities and we'll let go of our own power and control and our confidence in God's goodness and provision will grow and our worry will ease and the promises of Philippians 4, 6 and 7 will prove true. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to turn away from the trinkets of this world Help us to love your kingdom, to love your Son, to love the things that he loves. Uh, Fill us, we pray, with him that we might uh, live for the kingdom and that we would not be anxious. Fill us with, uh, with peace. Amen.